What's up, buddies? My name's Tyler Richardson. This is the Morning Fast Break. Coming up, Jackson Hoy joins me. We're going to talk a lot of things concerning the NBA draft. Let's go. With the first pick in the 2003 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select LeBron James. All right, Jackson Hoy is my guest this morning. He's an NBA draft driver for the Stepien and NBA Lock Draft. Week of the NBA Draft. You excited for Thursday? Man, I'm so excited. I I mean, it, it couldn't it can come sooner. Uh, all these picks. Uh, it's just going to be so much fun seeing all these guys that I've studied for the past year where they end up and them finally becoming NBA players. That's going to be the most fun part of this. This is the, the first year I've really ever gone this in-depth. And so... It's just going to be so much fun, like seeing these guys that I've really come to know uh, through their play and see them move on to the NBA and then be able to watch the NBA, know their tendencies, know all this sort of stuff, because this is easily the closest I've ever studied a group of basketball players. I've gotten to watch a lot of Kentucky basketball this season. Shea Gilgis Alexander was clearly the best player in Kentucky to me. I like guys with motors, and I think he has a better motor than Kevin Knox. Of those two, which has a better NBA career? I think it's Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think um, the the push that Kevin Knox has been getting, I don't really get it. I think that there are some aspects of his game that are underrated, and I think definitely the Kentucky situation was not great for him this year. He was forced to play the three and even the two. Uh, I think it was 63% of his offense came either off screens or off spot-ups, so they were basically just using him as their, their shooting threat within the offense rather than giving him any opportunity to create anything. But at the same time, he, he doesn't have a good first step. He's not a good ball handler. He's not a passer. So it's not like he would have created a whole lot had he begin, been given the opportunity. Um, my main issue with Knox is just I don't see the athletic upside for him uh, to really turn into a great player as if he's being mocked in the top 10. I just don't think that he's really athletic enough to punish you for, for passing on him. I think that he has skill. I really like his shot. And defensively, I think he's a little bit underrated in terms of his instincts on that end, how his length can make an impact. But I don't see a guy who's pulling off a Jason Tatum rookie season because Tatum clearly had much more athleticism than uh, Kevin Knox did. Just you see the flashes that Tatum would put up in Duke. I mean, he was battling injuries last season versus Tatum, or excuse me, versus Knox, who never really flashed any of that stuff. It's mostly like breakaway transition dunks that are the, the athletic plays he's making. He's not, you know, jamming on guys in traffic or anything. So I don't, I don't see the athletic upside for him. Shea Gilles Alexander, sort of the same way. I mean, that's kind of the book on him is that he's not this super bursty guy. He doesn't finish above the rim a whole lot. But I just I value his savvy a lot, especially at his size. And there are some improvements he's going to have to make. I don't know that he's ever really like a high-end player. Like, I don't think either of those guys is really super high upside in the traditional sense of the term. But Shea Gilles Alexander, I think, could easily turn into a starting level player. Just these big point guards have really succeeded early on in recent years, guys like Daylon Wright and DeJounte Murray. And if Gilgis Alexander can shoot better than either of those guys, which is certainly a possibility, I think he's got you know easy an easy path to being a really valuable starter. I watched Mo Bamba not play well down the stretch against Nevada because I'm here in Nashville, and that was the games I got to see. And I know it's harder for big men to affect games, but I really didn't see a lot from him in that NCAA tournament game. But I'm hearing he's rising at the up the draft board for certain teams. Do you think he should be a top three pick? Yeah, I definitely think that 
you know, you look at him and there are games where he doesn't make an impact, where he, he fades out. And, you, I mean, some of the, the statistics will bear that out, that Texas wasn't really that much worse with him off the court than on. And even even defensively, which is a bit of a surprise, you know, he was thought to be this all-world defensive player. But with him out of the game and putting in uh, – usually he was replaced by Jericho Sims, who's a freshman, really athletic, but he's like a six-eight center who kind of had no clue what he was doing. And their defense didn't <laughs> – Stevens didn't really go down that much when Bamba was out. So um, I definitely think he struggled to put a stamp on games at, at times. But I, I think that he's he's a top 10 guy in this class for me, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, not a top three guy. That's just – I don't see it with him there. I think that there's too much downside risk. I think that the upside of him is a top three player in this class. Um, if he really, you know, can add some flexibility to his hips, add some lower body strength, that makes him like the the key thing for him is in my mind is going to be the lower body strength on both ends. And I don't know how his frame is going to develop. You know, that's really the type of thing you have to have the access to the, the medical expertise to do and be able to say, okay, this is how much weight we can put on this guy. This is how um, we can make so make it so he's not getting posted deep every time by, you know, like that bad game, you know, a guy like Jordan Caroline, who's six seven two thirty five, 235 uh, is going to be able to get in Bomb's legs and he's not gonna be able to guard him very well, even though, Bamba's got five inches of height and however many inches of wingspan on him. Um, so you see that you see him affect the game off the ball because obviously that block radius is ridiculous. No one's ever had that sort of thing at the NBA level and also been mobile enough like Bamba is. But I, there's a lot of downside in offense. I don't if his I believe in the jumper based on the videos, but obviously they're just workout videos. How many times have those never materialized into anything? So if there's nothing on offense like that jumper doesn't work out. I mean he's a guy who could easily be you know, a, a fringe rotation player because he just doesn't impact the game. I mean, I, I I find it hard to believe that he's ever like a non-NBA guy just because of that reach and coordination and smarts combo. I think his smarts off the court are positive for him, but it doesn't really translate into high IQ play on the court. You don't see pretty much any passing from him, even though it was something in high school he did a little bit more last year at Texas, basically none of that. So he's a really interesting case. I am up and down on him a lot. I think that there are definitely some good cases to be made to put him in the top five area and maybe even into the top three. I just, it's not there for me. There's too much downside risk and there's too many other guys in this class who I'm more confident in. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. His wingspan, you mentioned that. It's seven feet, is that correct? Seven ten. Jeez Louise. Seven yeah. ten wingspan. That is unbelievable. And nine foot seven or nine foot eight thin reach too, which is I think the record. Like so, you can almost dunk a ball by standing. Yeah, just standing. <laughs> he could probably get on his tippy toes and just dunk a ball, which is just incredible. We're talking about like players living up to the hype. LeBron James, he lived up the hype. There's certain other players that live up to the hype. Other players like Kwame Brown, they flop. What's the biggest factor to you to determine if a player is going to bust? I think that, you know, trying to identify bust um, is just looking at a player and figuring out his weaknesses and saying, what is the, the likelihood that this weakness continues into the NBA and what is the likelihood that it outweighs other things? And I don't know that there are any guys in this draft who I think have complete flop potential that will go in the top 10 unless. We're talking about a guy like Colin Sexton or, God forbid, like Jerome Robinson or Aaron Holiday, who have been getting a ton of hype. Like any of those guys going in the top 10, I think you have some real bust risk. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., I think, has a, a chance of it, but. Um, 
because of his injury, that. which is like different. Yeah. I, I yeah, think it's, it's injury risk, which is like a, kind of a different thing. I think Mike Porter Jr. has a chance to be like a non-valuable player, but I don't think he's ever going to bust out of the league just because scoring is it's like he'll score no matter what. It's just going to be a matter of whether scoring is valuable. But if the injuries stack up, that's a thing. Um, but yeah, with all these guys in the, in the top ten, I feel good in saying like they're like. I think the the main place where you really get into danger of having a guy who busts is when you have not a lot of skills and not a lot of productivity, and there's a ton of projection involved with a player. You know, like a guy like Marquise Chris two years ago would be a good example of this. This was a guy who didn't really produce that much his freshman year at Washington, and to have him turn into anything, you were really projecting a lot of growth in his game. And he made you know some strides. He's still not a very good player, but he's also young and he's got a chance. But if he just hadn't progressed, you know, his shot had fallen off or something like, with a guy like that, all it takes is a couple of skills translating less than expected for them to just completely swap out. Like Anthony Bennett, for example, was a was a guy like that who just a couple of his skills didn't work out and there wasn't enough there to carry him the rest of the way. So I don't I don't see it with any guy in this class. If if there was a guy, I guess it might be I don't know I I don't even I don't even know like among these guys in the top ten I I feel so good about. I guess I'm thinking of my top 10, but um, the guys who might go top 10 on draft night, I mean, even Kevin Knox, who I think is probably the worst prospect that'll go top 10, he's he's got enough size and shooting ability that I think he'll be fine. So I don't know that there's any complete flops in this draft. This is a really strong class up at the top. Jill Okafor dominated the college game, and so did Marvin Bagley the third. I'm always scared of drafting Duke big men. Where do you lie on Bagley? Uh, I'm, I'm pro Bagley. I think that um, he's got one of the highest floors in this class just because of his productivity in college, his motor, size, coordination, athleticism, intersection, especially because he's one of the younger guys in this class. That's really beneficial. I like his skill flashes too, his handling in space especially. Uh, I think his jump shot progressed a lot over the course of the year as well, um, starting to really tighten his form up. He's got a ton of issues on defense, and I think that how he succeeds on that end will depend on where he ends up. But there are certainly avenues for him to be a strong negative defender and it's tough to figure out just how valuable he's going to be if that's the case but it's going to come down really to fit for him so I'm just kind of in wait and see mode on him to really decide where I want to put him in relation to the guys in his class because if he ends up in a favorable situation I'm moving him way up if he gets put somewhere where it's a really bad fit for him I'm probably going to move him down I just I just want to wait and see because he's he's the type of guy who I think there are Good argue- I, I like him because I think there are good arguments for him, both in like a more of a traditional scouting sense where it's, oh, the productivity, athleticism, size, all that sort of thing. But also in like a uh, the like the draft Twitter um, advanced stats or the sort of the view like the Stepien brings like we we can also make arguments for him that don't revolve around like, you know, traditional tropes like the second jump or whatever. So because he can exceed in both those areas, I, I think that he is certainly an interesting prospect, and I, I value that from him. I think like he could be a, a top five guy in this class for me if if he ends up in the right place. It's just going to come down to that because he's got a ton of upside on offense. Um, and defensively, it's just going to matter the infrastructure around him, the system he's placed in to see uh, what he ends up being on that end. In today's NBA, are players more likely to make an impact right away in their rookie season compared to the 80s and 90s? I think it depends on the position. This is something I, I've looked at a little bit. And in recent years, um, rookie big men have made a much bigger impact uh, than any other position. 
And I think as you as you go up the positions, the the impact decreases. So your big men are making the biggest impact. Uh, your your combo forwards are making like the second biggest impact. Your wings, third, and so on and so forth until you get to point guards who are most rookie point guards are usually some of the worst players in the league. It's just the nature of the position and the way in recent years to where it's evolved that, you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds playing point guard, it's not very easy. It's a tough position to play in the NBA. It's probably the toughest position, and it's so skill-based and so IQ-based that rarely do you guys come in ready to play there. Um, the guys who succeed early on are the guys who make an impact without having, you know, playmaker and have a ton of skill. You know, Marcus Smart is, I think, one of the best rookie point guards in recent memory just because he wasn't really a point guard. You know, Marcus Smart's a, a guy whose specialty is havoc and defense and all those sorts of things. So the guys who are really your point guards, it's it's really tough for them to make an impact early on. But big men, you know, you come in with the physical tools and the athleticism, it's pretty easy to go and, you know, make the stamp early, even if, you know, rarely are those guys elite defensive players necessarily, but, you know, they can rebound, they can finish around the bucket, they can block shots, even if they don't have great rotational understanding or anything. So this class, especially with the the fact that it's just loaded with big men, I think people could be really surprised with how quickly those guys make an impact early on. Um, you throw in a guy like Luka Doncic, who is going to be, I think, a high-level starter the moment he enters the league. Um, so you have you have all the bigs that are in this class, plus a you know a player who I think is going to be instantly valuable. Uh, you can see some really you know solid early impact from these rookies, maybe even more so than last year, where you had you know Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons, and Jason Tatum making big impacts on playoff teams. But outside of that, not a whole lot of contribution. I guess OG Ananobi is a guy you could throw in there. But, you know, I think next year you could have like six, seven, eight rookies making big impacts. Maybe not on playoff teams just because of where they're drafted. But it's going to be a a big season next year for rookies, I think. Remember when Cardell Jones had the game of his life against Alabama, Ohio State, ends up winning that national championship? Dante DiVincenzo played out of his mind in the title game, and he's probably going to get drafted in the first round. Every draft board I've seen, he's projected a first-round pick. Are teams overanalyzing one game? I I would say so. In the case of DiVincenzo, I mean, one of his defining traits is the fact that he's just highly inconsistent. And so you're buying into one game where his pendulum swung the right way without considering all the games where he's looked like a disaster. I mean, I think it, this is a stat off the top of my head. He had two blocks in that game. And outside of that, he had, I think, I want to say like seven blocks all season long. <laughs> the odds of him, you know, getting two blocks in that game were minuscule because he just wasn't a guy who ever blocked shots. But he he just had like a huge game, obviously. But Pull-up shooting is like a really unsustainable skill for most guys who don't really show it all the time. And that was like part of what made him so outstanding in that game was all the shots he was hitting off the dribble. And there are some, there are like a few guys in this class who are really elite at that. Your Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Elio Kobo would be the big three for me there. But I don't consider DiVincenzo to be that level of off-dribble shot maker. I think despite the highlight plays in the national championship game, he's got a lot of problems on defense. Um, but I think his offense has a chance to be valuable. I, I'm not all the way out on him. I have him somewhere in the, like the late 30s, I think. But I, I think that him in the first round is just too rich with some of the other guys that are going to be on the board. Uh, you're you're basically locking into a one-way player with his dimensions and his limitations on defense. And there's some two-way players you'd be able to grab. I mean, I think at his ceiling, you know, he's a he's a nice sixth man who can come and get you 12, 13 off the bench at night. But I don't know that that's like it's not a guarantee for him because that's assuming the jumper really continues to translate. And he's got poor free throw shooting. He's just been really inconsistent throughout his career. So I'm not in love with him, but I can understand some of the appeal. I'd like him in the early second more than in the uh, the first round. 
It also helps when you're playing alongside one of the best coaches in college basketball, alongside Mikel Bridges, first-round draft pick, and Jalen Brunson, an NBA draft pick as well, and a couple other really crucial role players that makes your job a little easier. You like Daryl Macon more than Aaron Holiday. I went to Arkansas, and I, I know what Daryl Macon can do at times. What stood out the most to you about his game? Well, I don't know that I like Daryl Macon more than Aaron Holiday, but I, I definitely think that taking a flyer and making an undrafted free agency is a much better play than drafting okay. Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday is going to be terrible value if you take him in the mid-first round. Like I, don't, I do not understand this hype train that's uh, come up around him. I guess I think it has to do a lot with his pedigree with his brothers. But, um, yeah, Macon's a guy with these like a very similar prospect. You know, Holiday's signature is that um, shooting from deep, particularly off the dribble. And when I watched Arkansas this year, I mean, most people were staring at Daniel Gafford, and I spent a lot of time watching Daniel Gafford, but uh, Macon was a guy who, whenever I paid attention to him, I was really impressed. And just a super high IQ player, uh, makes the right play all the time, and really has that deep shooting range, um, compact form, ex- excellent percentages from three and from the free throw line both years at Arkansas that he was there after playing in junior college for his first two years. Um, I like his passing ability. I think he's a really smart passer who makes the right reads. And defensively, you know, he's uh, a little bit taller than Holiday. Has like I think it's one more inch of height and one less inch of length. So pretty functionally similar in terms of size. Has that same competitiveness. Doesn't have the I think the differences between him and Holiday is that Holiday um, a little more burst off the dribble, uh, just a quicker first step and um, more of a driver attacker type, and has a bit of a thicker frame. But Macon's a much smarter player in my mind. I mean I think. Paul is a really poor decision maker. We saw that uh, as he just completely imploded down the stretch in there. The, the first four game against St. Bonaventure in the NCAA tournament, he just threw that game away for them late, just turning the ball over consistently. Um, didn't play very good defense throughout that game either. So I, I think that Macon's a guy, I really like him. I think that there's definitely a chance he turns into an NBA rotation player. You know, guys with smarts who can shoot, who have length and are competitive on defense, um, he, can, he can definitely earn a spot around the league. So he's a guy who I like a lot. Yeah, the Bonnie zone really confused Holiday. I remember like, watching that game at a restaurant, and he just he couldn't have said it better. He kept turning the ball over down the stretch uh, at the end. It was it was hard to watch. Jackson, is the NBA in a good place with fans right now? I mean, I I would think so. I mean, I think that there are, there are always going to be people complaining. I think Twitter and all that social media is going to amplify whatever um, concerns fans have, but. The ratings on the finals, as, as far as I know, I think they've been really high. I, I mean, I'm, I'm bored, to be honest, of uh, the Cavaliers and the Warriors and seeing okay. the same finals for Um It feels so predictable, especially now that the Warriors have their team. But I think that this offseason is going to be fascinating. And with all these moving parts, I mean, Kawhi Leonard's probably on the move. LeBron James is probably on the move. Paul George is probably on the move. We have one of the best drafts in recent memory. So there's going to be so much fun this offseason that I think that Whatever issues fans had with the finals, I mean, there's, this is going to be one of the most fun off seasons that we've had in a while. So I'm excited for that. And I think that next season, you know, if LeBron is wherever on a, a more competitive team and the Warriors maybe get nicked up a little bit, there's going to, I think there's going to be more competition next year. And I don't think we're going to see another year where everything feels sort of meaningless and predictable like it was last year. And I mean, even, even last year, the Rockets were uh, a viable challenger to the Warriors and had Chris Paul not gotten injured. I think we could have seen a far different result. So I, I think the NBA is in a good place. And with the, all the young talent that's flowing in, I, I'm really excited about the future. Who has the most to lose in this draft? Team or player? Let's, let's go both. 
Okay, so the player I think has the most to lose. Hmm, let's see. I, it's it's got to be some guy who's really situation dependent and could end up in the wrong spot. So probably probably in that sense, Marvin Bagley. You know, if he's a guy who goes to Sacramento, which is just not an ideal fit for him, I think that he could really or anyone just for that matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoever the, the answer is, whoever goes to Sacramento. Uh, no, but uh, I think that especially for Bagley, who is going to need the right infrastructure around him defensively and the right um, combination of players offensively, uh, Sacramento is just not a good fit for him. You know, you don't want him next to a point guard who's got questions about his shot, like De'Aaron Fox. Um, you don't want him in that sort of weird morass of a front court. Um, I do think he could be a building block in that front court for them, but uh, you really want him ending up somewhere where they have a guy who can uh, allow him to play the five on offense and the four on defense. That's sort of the the common trope with him, but it it really does make a lot of sense. And I don't think Sacramento has a guy like that. Um, he, he's probably going to be playing a lot of four if he ends up in Sacramento, and that kind of takes away a lot of his offensive value, even if it might help him a little bit on defense. And then, the, like I said, like there's not a whole lot of shooting on that team, which he's going to need to operate on offense. There's not a whole lot of creation. Um, I like De'Aaron Fox a lot, but I think he still has some some progress to make as a passer. So I go with Bagley, and I think that Sacramento's not the only place that could end up being a tough situation for him. You know, I think Atlanta is a weird fit as well, and he's probably going to one of those two places unless someone trades up for him. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. Maybe he slips and ends up in a better spot, but uh, I, I think that there's definitely a lot to lose for him. And the team I think that has the most to lose, it's the, the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I think that taking DeAndre at number one, they're missing on a golden opportunity, um, either to trade down or just take Luka Doncic right there because Luka Doncic is so easily, so clearly the best prospect in this class in my mind. Um, and Phoenix, he's a perfect fit in Phoenix because they have these young wings, these young creators, and Devin Booker, Josh Jackson, and adding Luka Doncic to the, the four, that would make them a, a super awesome young trio that is just going to you know, run the league a few years down the line when all those guys are progressed. You know, three ball handlers who can all pass, who can all dribble. That's what the NBA is becoming. Look at, look at how prosperous the Celtics have become uh, on the backs of their young wings, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and you know, see these other guys that are bringing in. I mean, Marcus Morris was amazing for them this year, and they got Gordon Hayward coming back next year. Like wings, wings drive the league these days, and so there are all these young big men, and that that is fun. But I don't think Aiton is going to contend with the the Jokic's and the Embiid's and the Towns of the world. I think those are all, all better players than Aiton, and so you may be getting a big who's going to be really productive and really solid for years. I do think Aiton can do that, but Doncic has the upside of being, you know, a, a guy who's on your championship team uh, alongside Devin Booker. So. Um, I think the Suns have a lot to lose um, if they don't, if they're going to take DeAndre at number one, just because that's locking them into a high usage center who's going to be a liability on defense for a few years before he really starts to figure things out. And even at his peak, I don't know that he's really the the centerpiece of a team that's going to win a championship. There's, I can't think of a single player like Aiden who's spearheaded a championship squad. Mikel Bridges is my favorite player in this draft. Who's yours? Personal favorite? Personal, like, who do you think projects the best? Uh, you, you can give whatever opinion on this one, honestly. I mean, probably Luka Doncic. I just enjoy watching him play so much. I, he's, so, he's so unprecedented in terms of what he's accomplished at his age. I mean, we're recording this Monday. Tomorrow, Tuesday, he's playing in the, the ACB finals. and He has a chance to clinch the ACB championship. So you could be looking at a guy who, at 19 years old, was the EuroLeague MVP, EuroLeague champion, EuroLeague Final Four MVP, ACB MVP, 
ACB champion potentially, like, and probably the you know the finals MVP or whatever of the ACB. So he's he's going to accomplish literally everything there is to accomplish for a 19-year-old playing in Europe. There's nothing left for him to prove to people in terms of accomplishments and abilities. And his game is just it's so much fun to watch because he he's so smart and so skilled for guys six eight six nine so young and I just I just haven't ever been enthralled with a, a player like I am with him just because of uh, the the unprecedented nature of what he's doing so that just makes me so excited whenever uh, I get I get to see him in the NBA I'm so excited to see him what he does next year in the NBA. You live in Lawrence, right? Yeah. What is the atmosphere of Allen Fieldhouse like for someone who's never it, been? I mean, I I am so used to it that I don't even know. Like, I haven't been – I've probably been to, like, 10 games or so throughout my life. So I haven't been to a ton of games necessarily, but it's something that I'm I'm used to. So I don't really, like, watch college basketball in other places that much. So I don't really have anything to compare it to, but it is really surreal just being in there and seeing the – Everyone, you know, all 17,000 fans jumping and screaming and everything and just being around that atmosphere. It, like, even not really having a ton to compare it to, just uh, being in there and seeing everything is really amazing. And it's it's the coolest thing ever. Like, it's being at a KU game and just being in that atmosphere, um, seeing the way that people react and the way that people rally around. I mean, Lawrence KU basketball is gospel. I mean, everyone knows about it from the time you're in elementary school. Uh, people people follow it. People know the players. Um, when I was a little kid, I would sit at the barbershop and memorize the players on the, the roster. So it's something that's just really ingrained in the culture here, and it's just really cool to be a part of all that. Jackson Hoy, he is an NBA draft writer for the Steffian and NBA Lock Draft. Jackson, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, Ty. I appreciate it. Good stuff from Jackson. I haven't heard many draft people that I've talked to be as high on Luka Doncic as he is. And it's commendable because I kind of like hearing different opinions. So, interesting conversation with him. Really enjoyed it this morning. The quote that I'm ending the show today this morning comes from Kevin Durant. It's, I'm tired of being second. I'm not going to Seattle for that. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.